The reading today, as Nick has just said, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 30, and it's on page 952 in the Pew Bibles. Therefore, my dear friends, as you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he, you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety." So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Well, we have been working our way through Philippians and today we come to what really is a bit of a crucial point in the message that Paul is writing to the Philippians. There are some things happening here that are going to have great significance for the, uh, for the church, the young church here. Uh, Paul's desire for them is that they will be people who will shine like stars, people who have lives that are so different to all the others of those around about them particularly in, in, the, in the country in where, where they were living. Uh, and, of course, that's true for all of us too, isn't it? That's what what's God wants for us. He wants us to be shining stars to show people who he is and to point, point, point people towards him. Now, Nick has already spoken about the fact how that uh, it was the love of people that drew him. Uh, into, into a relationship with Jesus. And that's what God desires for us. 
but there was some trouble or some possible trouble ahead. And we need to have a look at that and see whether there are things that are going to affect us as well. So let's pray. Father, if there are things that you want to point out in our lives this morning, please do it. We thank you for the reminder that you are sufficient, Christ is enough. But Lord, will you point our eyes towards him this morning? Not looking at our own failures, but looking at his successes and trusting in him. Because we ask it in his name. Amen. The relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi was an extremely close one. It was Paul who, if you, if you read back in Acts 16, how the church in Philippi came about, it was Paul who, who founded the church there in Philippi. And it was very much a mutual relationship. Listen to what Paul wrote, wrote in, in chapter 4 to, to the Philippians. Yes, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. They were very generous towards Paul. And Paul in a number of, number of verses speaks about his relationship with them. But look at verse, beginning, in, beginning of the letter in verse 1-8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Wow. They were so special to Paul. And in fact, in fa- a bit later in chapter 1, he was saying, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen to my life. It could be that here in, in Rome, my life came to an end. Well, that's, <laughs> that's okay because my greatest desire is to leave this world and to be with Christ. But... What about you? And so he writes these words. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul's greatest desire was to be with them. And also, Paul had been their example. Listen to chapter 3. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have told you before, and now say even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And down near the end of our reading, it was speaking about Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus had been with Paul in in Rome. Why was he there? Because he actually came from Philippi. 
And because the Philippians were unable to, able to serve Paul there in, in prison, they sent Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus went to Paul and he, 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 he took gifts to him and he was there with him to support him. Wow. What a great relationship. And now Paul, even though he wanted Epaphroditus to be with him, he was sending him back to them because they were concerned about Epaphroditus. A bit like us going to, what's the name of the place where the pages are? It's not Ocaparinka, is it? It's a bit like us going there, you know, they're a long way away. But we want to be able to give them our love and we can't all go, but we're sending a delegation to them to encourage them and to take gifts, just as Epaphroditus did for Paul there in Philippi. But all through the, the book of Philippians, in the beginning, we get the sense that something is going to change. Paul has the desire to be with them. He is saying that he, because they are praying with him, He's sure that he will get there. And even when he's speaking about Timothy, he said, I'm, I'm confident uh, that I will come with him. But that might not be the case. And I think it's good for, us, good for us to remember as well. You know, there are times when we want things so desperately and we, we pray for them and we believe that that's what God wants for us. And maybe there are others who are supporting us in those things, but it just doesn't happen. How do we react? God is sovereign, isn't he? And he decides these things. And here, Paul is saying, or hinting, that maybe I won't be with you. What happens in those situations? You know, I know, of, I know of churches who have had pastors for a long time, pastors who have been much loved by them and them by the pastor, and, and he leaves, and the churches fall in a heap. Particularly in some situations, if a pastor leaves in, 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 in a bad situation. And often, often in those situations, we have what we call intentional interims who go in for a year or maybe two years to try and pick up the pieces and to deal with the grief and all the, all the fallout that's taken place. Is that going to happen in Philippi? You know, it's, I think it's very much a test of the character of the person, a person as what they do when they're on their own. What about you and me? Do we behave in one way when we're with other people, but when no one knows what we're doing when we're on, and we're on our own, do we, things different? do we do things differently? That certainly was the situation in the church in Corinth. You remember how, how Paul worked so hard, so hard in Corinth, and he was, he'd, he'd gone away from them and he was hearing all these reports of things that were going on. And so he wrote back to them and he said some of these things. Some of you have become arrogant 
as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? You see, Paul had left Corinth (laughs) and it was in a bad way. You know, it it begins about all all the divisions and there were these people who were arrogant that Paul had to go and and knock back into shape. Now that just brings a thought to mind. Arrogant. Is there such a person as an arrogant Christian? What do you think? There is a term, term, a term that comes to, to, to my mind as we think about that arrogant Christian. What, what do you think it might be? Come on. Rodney, I've... An oxymoron, thank you, thank you, Mary. An oxymoron. An oxymoron is where you have things put together that are opposites. Like, for example, you might say, "This is this sermon is going to be the perfect imperfection," <laughs> uh, or an arrogant Christian. It's an oxymoron. You can't have both. If a person is arrogant, can they be a Christian? Or if a person is a Christian? Can they really be arrogant? Jeffrey reminded us last week about the, about the character of Jesus, how he was, he was very God and yet he came down even to the cross in his humility and he surrendered to God. If a person is a Christian, we're supposed to have the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living within us. How can we possibly be arrogant? when the spirit of Jesus should be the focus and the control and the centre of our lives. This doesn't add up, does it? Well, I don't want to be too difficult. Maybe there can be an arrogant Christian, but I would venture to say that that person must be a very, very, very immature Christian because you can't be a Christian for very long and have the work of God within you and not realise humility. As Paul has pointed out a number of times in this epistle, that humility is the character of a Christian. Paul was very strong in reminding people that our lives should be consistent both when we're under scrutiny And when we're not, listen to what he wrote to the church in Colossae, to the slaves actually in Colossae. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And early in the letter to the Epicians, to the Philippians, Paul is speaking to them about the same thing. 
whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. Paul is saying, when I was present with you, you meant so much to me. But now, but now, and the suggestion is, but now I might not, might not be. What will happen then? What will happen then? Well, he says there at the beginning of our reading, there, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now, much more, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Philippians is not dependent upon me, Paul says. It is God who is at work in you. And he wants you to work out your salvation. He wants your salvation to be seen as you allow him to work in your life. Don't be flippant or careless. This is God. This is God who is at work in you. There was a couple of verses I remember, some of the verses I learnt in my early days, and a memory. And it picks up, I think, the theme of this very well. Psalm 119, 9 to 11. I'm going to read it because I memorise it in the authorised version and I'll get myself confused if I don't. <coughs> this is what it says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Can you get the gist of that? I've got your word. I'm living on your word. Why? Because I don't want to sin against you. And Paul is saying, fear and trembling. This is serious stuff. God is at work in your life. Allow him to do that and your life to change accordingly. Listen to a couple of, couple of verses. Paul, even in the beginning of his, of his epistle, made this clear. I always pray with, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the, first, <coughs> from the first day unto now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He had the same thought when he wrote to the Ephesians. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And of course we know the words of Jesus, don't we? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Philippians, I might not be with you, but that shouldn't in any way inhibit you becoming shining stars. In fact, even much more, you must depend on the work of God within you. And he says, be different. Don't grumble and complain like everybody else does. Allow your lives to reflect the character of Jesus in joy and thankfulness and trust and hope. Holding on, holding on to the word of life. What does that mean? How much time do we spend in the word of in the in the scriptures compared to the rest of the time in our day? Does it have a high priority? Is that what moulds our thinking? Is that what directs our actions? Is that what forms is the basis of our relationship with other people? Paul is saying. Hold on to the word. Hold on to the word. You remember when uh, Peter and John went up to the, into the temple and there was a man there who was crippled, had been born crippled for life and he was, uh, as, he, as he always did, he sat there looking for arms. And uh, I always say, well, he did one arm, he wanted legs, legs and feet as well. But anyway, he was looking for gifts from people. And when Peter and John came around, uh, well, he expected some great things. Listen, Listen to these words. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Wow. He must have been going to get something great, mustn't he? And it said, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Can you imagine what what that was like? Focus his attention upon them and he was expecting that he was going to get something great from them. Well, we we know the outcome of the story, don't we? But that, that word that's used there for focusing his attention upon them in expectation, is the same word that is used here about holding on to the word. Be expectant when you read the scriptures. Expectant that God is going to do something in your life. Expectant that it's going to change your life for the man in the temple. It meant a whole new life, what Peter, what Peter, Peter gave him. Be like that when you're in the word. Don't be flippant. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. In fact, Paul goes on to say, (laughs) hard to believe, isn't it? He said, he will rejoice. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, on the on, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. 
so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Wow. If Paul was to die a martyr, it shouldn't, yes, there will be grief, but there should be joy and rejoicing because God is at work, even in the things they didn't desire. Be a star, Paul says. Be a star. Be different to everybody else round about you so that people might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then he speaks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. I'm not sure whether he, he intended to do this, but, you know, as we read about them, they really, really are examples of stars, aren't they? About Timothy says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Everyone else. But there's a star shining. That's Timothy. He takes a genuine interest in your welfare. And isn't that what Paul said earlier in Philippians? Not to be more, con- be, be more concerned about the affairs of others than of ourselves. And here is Timothy. Paul is going to send him so that he will get, get, him, get information from the Philippians and he will give information to, to the Philippians about how Paul is. But Paul is able to say, he's so different, different to everyone else because everyone looks to his own interests but not Timothy because Timothy has proved himself, has proved himself. And then there's Epaphroditus. Wow. A man who was sent to represent and to, and to, the Philippians to, to Paul in prison and to, and to serve him and to take care of his needs and to minister to him. And wow, did he do that? Did he do that? Because Paul says at the, at the end of the, that passage, welcome him in the, in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him. Why? What was so different to him? Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Wow. What a star. Someone who was given a task to minister to Paul and he was prepared to minister to the degree at his own cost, even to risking his own life. Are we stars like that? Because that's Paul's desire here, that we should be dependent upon Jesus, that God should be at work in our lives working out his purposes and, and you, we, use, we, we use the word sanctification, don't we? Making us more and more into the image of God. Not dependent upon people. Because people fail us. People fail. And so often when people fail, we are tempted to give up. Particularly if there's someone who has been a mentor or someone in high, in high esteem. But Paul says, no... It's not about me. Yes, you're dear to me and dear to me very much. 
and I know I'm dear to you. But it's not about me. It's about God at work in your life. Allow him to make you a star. Let's pray. Lord, sorry for the times when my star becomes so tarnished by the things of this world. I want to be a bright, shining star for you. But as I look at your word and the requirements and I look at Jesus and the way you, he is described here, I, feel so, I fall so far short, Lord, as we all do. But thank you that you who have begun a good work in us will bring it through to completion and we will shine brighter and brighter and brighter as the days go by for your glory. Thank you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.